1: All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave socks, you to it.
2: Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com travel. Qualifying plan
0: required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply.
3: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the Weekender from the Anfield Raptors. Just over a week to go before Liverpool compete in the biggest game in club football once again. And the anticipation is absolutely through the roof. The time between the last league game and Anfield against Wolves and the final has been frankly torturous uh, for everyone who's been sweating on tickets in that ballot trying to make travel plans and worrying about the game itself to come against Tottenham Hotspur but the Reds have been putting the time to good use by going to Marbella for a training camp we'll be talking about all of that on your weekend's show and all of the preparations for next Saturday throughout the show as well as having segments with former Liverpool player Terry McDermott looking ahead to the final uh, local classical musician Jennifer Johnston who's got a charity single that she's talking to us about and also John Gibbons has spoken to Miguel Delaney of The Independent about the situation With Arsenal and Chelsea having to go to Baku, and the fact that Henrik Mikatarian is basically barred from going to that country. Uh, To go through all of that, then, you've got me, Dan Austin, and I'm joined by Dan Nicholson, Adamelia, Lizzie Doyle, and Dan Morgan and first of all I'll go to you Dan on the the Marbella chat the Reds are off in Spain working hard in preparation I say I'll go to you Dan I mean Dan Morgan (laughs) it's going to be lots of confusion around that so far (laughs) Um, there's plenty of photos of them all kicking about um, obviously going through the the proper training regime but also all smiling seem like they're enjoying each other's company do we think that this combination of, of training hard but also a trip abroad where they can be away from everything where they can just enjoy spending time together is the best way to approach the final
5: I think it's important to remember he, he went there last year, before the final, before Madrid. So, obviously, he's got that body of experience. He knows what's worked for him in that build-up. He, he will know what, what hasn't worked as well. But I think he's definitely sought the advice of staff, even a couple of players, his captain, Van Dijk, to say, what do you think of this trip? Did you think it benefited you before the final? Things like getting away from the melee, the rush, the press, the, the anticipation, the build-up. And to just focus on football, um, I think it's definitely something that is a benefit to them. I think it's interesting that they've kind of made Marbella the second home now. I think it's, they've been there at least once this season on one of those um, mid-season I trips. think back in late January, early February, yeah, they went there. Yeah, I think it's a place Klopp's identified early and he's, he's seen as a place that is almost a bit of a home from home. And the way the they make the players um, as relaxed as possible these days. You wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're bringing a lot of home comforts over with them and stuff like that to, to get them through the, the transition of, of training abroad. Um, I think the big difference for me this season is that, I don't think it's been touched on too much, but I think the fact we've got Pep Linders is massive now for this. I think that last season we didn't have Buvac. we didn't have Pep Linders there, but I think that having Pep, and knowing what we know about Pep in terms of the way he makes the training sessions uh, exuberant, he makes them new, he makes people enjoy what they're doing on a daily basis, will be a little other factor to this trip as opposed to the one last year.
4: Adam, uh, it is the same trip as last year. Klopp will have learnt from, from what they did in preparation for the final last time around. I'm sure he's making <coughs> small little changes to try and improve things along the way as well, but it is overall the same sort of process that they're going through as they did for Kiev. Do you think that gives Liverpool an advantage that they've been through this process of preparing for the European Cup final before whereas obviously Tottenham haven't it's fresh for them
3: i think so i think um i think i think whoever we were going to get from the other semi we we were we were going to be the big boys this time um and i think that is uh, that is a benefit, actually, for the way this Liverpool team works. I know as 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 a set of fans, we we like the underdog stories of of, of us, but I think this set of players has shown this season that they like being the big boys, and um, I think that the fact that they'll have that, that they will have a bit of a, a been there, done that breezy attitude about it has to help in those. I mean, it's it, it's all about, I suppose, the 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 the, the build up. Um, you know how 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 both sets of players' heads are, uh, and and it's probably not one of those things that that maybe impacts the full ninety minutes. But I do think that there are that there might there might be key moments. There might you know if, if one team settles quicker than the other, it could be key. I think I think football players once they start playing football, they, they will both teams will settle into it, and nerves don't really last. But I do think that it does give us. You know, his marginal gains is what Klopp's all about, isn't it? And so I think there is there is definitely something in this in 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 the routine thing. Um, I, I mean, as, as just basically that Dan covered it really well about about what they've what they're, they're experiencing at the minute. I noticed that, um, that it seems like the partners are there. Um, which I, I don't remember happening before, but just know from you know following following Fabinho's wife on Twitter, <laughs> she's prolific, <laughs> she, isn't she? She's in Marbella, I can tell you that. So <laughs> I, I don't think that's probably a coincidence. Um, so you know that's that's nice as well. I, I'm, I'm guessing they're um, that they, they, they're probably coming to sort of the end of their their, their, their time. And when did, does anybody know when they when they come back? Because I they think are back they're looking to come back go. over the weekend. I think yeah, it's Saturday so, or Sunday. So it seemed it seemed like they are probably the partners and families are there for the last couple of days, mm. which is. You know, a nice a nice way to end it before you know the the a, a week of hard work back home starts, Um and
4: yeah, I I I mean, touchwood they don't all
3: get poorly because mm-hmm. <laughs> someone's got to say
4: it. They all got sick last time they went, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> Hopefully they won't, Lizzie. Adam mentioned uh, marginal gains there. I think it's worth contrasting the Liverpool approach with that of Tottenham. Obviously, it's their first time around. Not one of their players has ever played in a Champions League final before. The manager it's first experience of it as well. They are preparing as normal. They're in London. They're using their own training grounds. They are, in effect, carrying on their season as normal, as though it's just another game. They've had a mad story in this competition so far. You know They were dead and buried after three games pretty much at the group stage, only had one point. They've had to come back in there. They were out against Manchester City and then suddenly threw again, last kick of the game against Ajax. Do you think that for them it's more a case of trying to ride that wave, trying to keep that feel-good factor that obviously we all saw watching the game in Amsterdam? Do you think it's more for them about... Not necessarily preparing for it and trying to learn lessons from from anything that they've done before, but just just riding what they've been through and, and the narrative that they're on.
6: Maybe so. And and obviously the the I didn't know that they hadn't chosen to, to go away. But they haven't had any warm weather training at all at Tottenham. Um whereas Liverpool have had two this year. I think this is now the third. So it, it it's quite a good decision, maybe by Pochettino, to just sort of say this is what you're used to and this is how we're gonna prepare. <coughs> I think that this break does spare as well. I think they've got a lot of injuries um, and I think if this was being played a week or so after um, the Premier League had finished, I think Spurs would be absolutely goosed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this benefits Spurs more in terms of that rather than Liverpool because I feel like Liverpool are much better off the back of momentum. Um, but I think the difference, ra- the difference this time round is like like it's been said before. We, we've been here this time last year. We know what to expect. Klopp knows what he's done well, what he'll need to do better. And every decision that he's made now from the, the last game of the season up until now, up until next week, will be will be based on what happened last year, uh, this time around. And with with Spurs, yeah, they might just be trying to ride a wave. I've said it all along. I think that them getting to the Champions League final is like them winning it. I think anything else is a bonus for them. Whereas I do not think that this Liverpool side accepts anything else but a trophy at the end of it.
4: Uh, Dan Nicholson, there's been lots of talk in the press today that Liverpool have been trying to find an opponent to play a behind-closed-doors friendly against uh, yeah. before the final. Apparently, according to the Echo, they haven't managed to find a suitable opposition for that. But do you think that the idea of, of playing a sort of, you know, not fully competitive game but a semi-competitive one in that long gap between the last game against Wolves and the final
7: is a good way of keeping legs fresh? I guess it help, but the squad that he's took over is so big. You'd like to think they're amongst themselves... They can get a game going. They mm-hmm. so got the under twenty three is there. You know, there's there's so many playing staff there at Melwood and Kirby that in the event that they can't find someone from Holland or whatever they were they, they were whatever it was they were ringing round the other day. Um, you'd like to think they could bring it together. But as was said there, you know, I think the idea of these these marginal gains, the fact that we've been there before, that we've we've done it before, we've got that experience, it really does count for something. And not just on the pitch, I think off the pitch as well. You know, I think as a football club, we are better suited to get into a European Cup final with the experience. And that does count for something, whether it's the logistics, whether it's the way the fans approach it, there's something there. That does count towards something, and I think that will be reflected on the pitch. Do you know what?
6: I, sorry, do you know what? Do you know what I find really interesting is um this is this going to sound like a proper Anfield drop plug, but it does it does feed into what you've just said, uh, Dan Nicholson. Um, when we spoke to Jamie Carragher on Friday, Jamie Carragher referenced something that I didn't think was really a thing for players, and he said how these Liverpool players will go in with the weight of the history on the club and feeling like because they they have been drilled in since the moment they've got here to this club, so. And um, like Sadio Mane, who's, who's from Senegal, Mo Salah from Egypt, that this is where Liverpool are meant to be, this is where you're meant to be, whereas Spurs don't have that history. Uh, and those players might go in a little bit wide-eyed and excited and, and they've never, ever had the experience of that before or anyone to even tell them what that experience is like. And he said weirdly that that actually will play a big part in in how Liverpool prepared and how mentally ready they are, which I thought was really quite interesting. Uh,
4: Dan, the other Dan Nicholson, mm. um, has just referenced the size of the squad um, that's gone over to Marbella. I think it's 23 he's taken in total. Mm. Um, the manager's referenced quite a few times, especially this season, how occasionally he's brought in a player who's seemingly been in the cold, but they've trained very well and impressed him and then he ended up placing the start 11. So around about January, uh, he talks about Naby Keiter in that way. He did it with Adam Lalana in and around March as well, where he came in and got a few games from seemingly not being a first-team member. Uh, December, January as well, Divock when he started getting his games, he talked about how he'd worked really hard in training and he thought he deserved his chance. Is there anyone on this trip you think that we as supporters aren't really thinking is going to have an influence on this final, but that across the course of this camp you think could really make a case to, to have a say in it?
5: I think that there could be... Uh, An honest conversation to be had around Lovren and Gomez Um, from the start. I think it will be Matip personally, but I think they could both make a reasoned case. Gomez starts in the new Camp because he wants to get him in somewhere Mm -hmm. and feels that right back's the best place to put him. Lovren, we know he loves playing in a mad game. Um, I think, like I say, Joel Matip has the right to play in the European Cup final and quite rightly so. So I think there's maybe a conversation around that. I do think the the volume of squad he's took over there has something to do with the increased number of substitutions you can make and mm-hmm. have uh, in this game, which I think could play a real part. I think one thing that's interesting for me is that I think it's quietly gone unnoticed this season how much Klopp has made us a 12-man team, if you like, in terms of he's made um, his first substitution. A priority in games and he's, he's kind of factored how he feels a game will be playing out at any one time um, and who that substitution will be at the, at the right time and he's, he's generally got that got that correct so that will obviously bring up the question around midfield and I'm sure you will come to that in terms of which three from four we're going to pick but I think it's very much a horses for courses thing, I think he'll I think both managers will have a, a quiet eye on extra time in terms of what could happen in the game and what they will need from substitution should it get there. So I think with that in mind and possibly penalties, he could just look at his options around his second, third sub and say, what do I need for this exact moment? I hope it doesn't come to that, but it might do.
4: Adam, Dan has mentioned a few names there. He certainly has to decide on the fitness mm-hmm. of Roberto Firmino um and, and take into account the performance that he gave against Barcelona. Um, there's a possibility for a bit of a Alex Oxley Chamberlain wild card, not necessarily from the start, but it was one of the three substitutions that he wants to bring on if he thinks that Liverpool need that kind of influence in the game. But Dan rightly mentioned that the, the main call <coughs> that that one would expect he has to make is in midfield with the three from four. And I think we would all assume that Fabinho and Jordan Henderson probably get the start. Mm. That means, therefore, that the choices between Ginny Wijnaldum and James Milner both have performed admirably across the season. Both can stake a very strong claim for a, a start and birth in the final. Also, it's important to note that both have had a massive impact off the bench in recent weeks. So, Wijnaldum mm. comes on and scores two against Barcelona. Milner comes on away at Newcastle and away at Southampton and helps decide the game in Liverpool's favour. If, if you are making the call right now, who would you go with in your midfield? Genie, I think.
3: Um, but it is, it, it's, it's, it's a marginal call. Um, and I think maybe I say I'm saying Genie based on the number of different ways Milner's come on and influenced the game. So I'm sort of saying it because of Milner's attributes as much as Genie's. Mm-hmm. Genie's probably been our most consistent midfielder through the course of the season, and you know the season has different. It ebbs and flows, and it has different sort of parts entirely. And you know, it, it, it it's a, a weird thing, a season because it seems short and long at the same time. But you know, all the way through, I think I think um, Wijnaldum in in each of the the different the different parts of the season has played really well, um, and 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 deserves his start. But as well as that, I think that you've you've seen you've seen Milner come on, um, and, and you know he, he you want him on at the end, I think, and, and, and he, the the qualities he's got, he's 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 sort of Dragged us to a, a dra- dragged us through to a narrow win that we were already in the lead. He's come on and and, and scored you know a, scored a winner um to, by the penalty spot. His penalties are obviously a, a, a massive uh, asset in our armory. Um and the the you know the 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 nous of him. Um so I think there's. I think for for all those reasons, it, it sort of seems like although it's a marginal call, and I wouldn't mind if Milner starts, it just it, it feels it feels like that's the the right thing to do. And so it, my my concern, I guess, is 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 our is our lineup too predictable? But you know, they still have to it, you can predict it, but they still have to deal with it, don't they, Spurs?
5: I think it's actually more of a call between Milner and Fabinho, because I don't think either of them have got ninety minutes in them. I think you see. Favino doesn't start at Bayern, for example, and he comes on early, and you see why he doesn't start because he's absolutely blown for tugs on about 80. So I think. I think I still, the long, at the same time, though, I think he turns that game around. I think he does, yeah. I think he's massive for us, but by the end, he's absolutely trudging. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a question around his conditioning for 90 minutes in terms of. Uh, and don't get me wrong, he's he's at a point now in his Liverpool career where he's absolutely given everything and taken everything out of himself. But I think just.
3: We get that a lot with with players in their first seasons. I think so. Next season, yeah, exactly. Liverpool that, players who have signed yeah, since their second season, they do that. That that's ninety minutes.
5: Because yeah. I think I think a big thing of this is we always think of it as a physical thing. I think some of these players come in and end up mentally shattered at the end of a season. You know, if, if he's come from League One and he's playing for Monaco every week, the jump from that to Liverpool mentally playing in the Premier League every weekend and going, "What you're asking me to concentrate this hard every second for ninety minutes?" Well. I'm sorry, I've, I've blown a mental gasket by 82 and I'm, and I'm absolutely shattered. So I think it, it's maybe a question more between those two and maybe if he's got like a section extra time and pens on his mind, he might think Milner. Dan Nicholson.
7: which of the, the three from four would you be Wijnaldum, going with to start? Me, okay. I, think, um, I think you're right that the start 11 does pick itself, um, apart from that combo in the midfield. But Wijnaldum, again, just for me, wouldn't be disappointed if it was Milner, but I think we can really take it to Spurs. With Genie starting, I think we're going into this game as, as very, very strong favourites. And I think them can just alter that game a little bit to really take it to them. Um, Milner coming off the bench if, if needed, whether you know the game is going wrong and needs to be shored up a tiny bit. You know, it's not going our way. Whether um, we pick up an injury, that kind of thing. More than happy for him to come off, but starting will be Genie.
3: I'm a bit gutted for Joe Gome, as you know. I've I've been saying this, but I feel like if he was just if he if he'd been a few weeks earlier in his in in his rehabilitation, and this isn't a slight at John Matip, who I think has been has exceeded all expectations and shows what a run of games can do for a player, but I do think that there was a different there was a there was another facet to our game when Gomez played at the start of the season. I think it's almost. It, it, I think by by some sections of you know the media and the fans and stuff, it's kind of been forgotten mm-hmm. that you know he was he, he was he was up there with Virgil and Virgil's the best in the world. Uh, so it, it, I am just I, I, there's there's just a bit of a bit of a tinge of regret and you know I just feel it's feel for him because I think he's brilliant and you know just it could have been but you know.
4: He was brilliant in the game, at, uh, Wembley, against Tottenham Hotspur as well. He was. Joe Gomez, that was with a partnership first. Yeah. It looked like it was something special. Uh, that is all that we've got time for, though, for part one. We'll be back in the studio a little later to talk about the actual day in Madrid that we're all dead excited for next Saturday. But for now, we're going to cross to former Liverpool player Terry McDermott, who has spoken to the editor of the Anfield Wrap, Josh Sexton, about the upcoming final and this current Liverpool team. So that's going to be a really good chat. If you don't know it already as well, uh, the Anfield Wrap this week have spoken to Jamie Carragher, to Kenny Daglish, to Craig Johnston, which is coming out over the weekend, also David Fairclough and Alan Kennedy in exclusive podcasts. So if you don't already, make sure to subscribe to the Anfield Wrap. It's still only £5 a month and you can get access to all of those brilliant, brilliant shows. But for now, we're going to cross to Josh and to Terry McDermott.
8: Delighted to be joined by Terry McDermott, who made 31 European Cup appearances, scored 12 goals and played in three finals, all of which were won by Bob Paisley's Liverpool. Terry... Going into this game, you know, Liverpool have a great history in these European Cup finals. There's, there's lots of sort of memories we can have as as, as fans of painting cities red, painting stadiums red. And, if, and it feels like that's something which is going to give Liverpool an edge once again going into this one against Tottenham.
9: Yeah, yeah, obviously played in three, but there's only one left for me anyway. I know we won three, but the main one was the first one for everybody, you know, the ones who were there that night. It was something special, winning... When the first European Cup, uh, just being beaten in the FA Cup final on the Saturday, and we went and put on a performance like it was, and there must have been over 35,000 there, in the Podium, and it was something i would never, never, probably never see again. It was just beyond belief the noise that we made and the, the performance that we put in. But the fans, you know, people, you know, yeah, we well, say that you know, because it, it sounds good to the people, but they are special fans, and I always say. Newcastle United special fans, but so Liverpool are are the same. Just fanatical about the football, and and to support the clubs and to, to, you know wanting to be, you know, winners, and they are winners because they've won three European Cups. when I've been there anyway. So, but the the fans have got a lot, lot to you know to thank. We we thank them because for, for the sacrifices they made by going all the way over to to Rome and. Spending the money that he didn't have, <laughs> um, but unbelievable occasion, you know. And um, hopefully it's going to be the same in two weeks time.
8: But also in, in the build-up to the finals, you know, you witnessed it in, in the Barcelona game. How much of an impact Anfield can have on, on them European nights? You know, when it's when it's just full of full of Liverpoolians. Obviously, the final we hope as as many scouts will manage to get in the, in the ground as possible. Though it's not looking great for this final as it may have done in in past finals. But you know, the, the games at Anfield in the build-up to Champions League final. How sort of special occasions are they? For, you know, from what you experienced as a player.
9: Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, the, the game against in Barcelona. I've never known anything like it, and all the time I've been at Liverpool, uh, all the time I've been in football. To, to, for that night, you know, I know there was all special nights in the past and that, but this was just—I was blown away by it. You know, it was just beyond belief, and the noise that he made after the game, and there was. He didn't want to go home. He just wanted to stay with the moment, and it was just an unbelievable occasion for everyone that was in that stadium. And it's, you know, the 54,000, I mean, 50,000 of were all the Liverpoolians, and um, they did not make a noise and let them know that. I mean, so win. What did the way he won? It was just beyond belief, as far as I'm concerned. It's um, special, special occasion. Hopefully, we have got one more to go this season.
8: And for yourself, as as a local lad, you know, starting in three European Cup finals, it's it's, it's almost unheard of for, for for a local lad in, in Liverpool's history. How much did, did it mean to you to be given that opportunity? Was that sort of living the dream for you? And does it bring back memories when you see lads like Trent Alexander Arnold getting getting their starts yeah. in, the, in the final last year? And obviously, you you assume he will do this year as well.
9: Yeah, it was fantastic for you know the young kid. Brilliant season. he's had a brilliant season as well. He had a couple of injuries and things like that. But what a player he's going to be in the future, you know. And for him to play, and I'm sure he'll be playing in in the final, um, what an occasion for him as well. He'll he'll know that he's been in for a special special week. But the big game, and you know, the, it's not going to be a foregone conclusion that we're going to beat Spurs. But um, if we play like anything like that we can, and they play anything like they can, we'll go. We'll beat them because I think we've got better players. than them.
8: Is there anything you'd say to, to Trent if you if you sort of had the had the, had the chance to have a conversation with him in terms of advice you'd give him going into this game or do you think that you know him having the experience from from last year will help him through this one more so than anything you can offer up
9: yeah I'm sure you know from from last year and everything but this year uh, he, he, he's had a special year and you know I'm, I'm sure he's going to have a lot more more in the future but but this one occasion in uh, you know when in Madrid, um, to 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 playing games like that, you you can't describe it to especially when you're a scout or a little puddling, you know you you, you you can't help but but you know you get you, the way you feel. It's it's inside you that you just you know I'm playing in an FA the European Cup final for, for for the third time, and you know what. I honestly think that in the next few years we'll be there, and most most of the time because we've got some, such a great team, but such great characters as well. And Trent Arnold is an unbelievable player, and he always will be. And
8: did you feel as? This- Slightly more nervous being a local lad going into these finals because it was it was so much your dream growing up to to sort of play for Liverpool on on these on these grand occasions. Did that that increase your nerves, or did the nerves sort of get easier for you as 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 you know as you sort of played in more and more of these European Cup finals, more of these big games for Liverpool?
9: No, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't affect me because yeah, you know, I was just privileged. I was playing for Liverpool in a European Cup final. It was a privilege, you know. And how can you not enjoy that, you know? And Yes, some of the people do get nervous before games. Players get nervous before games. But I never I never did. I just couldn't wait to get out and start the game. And, um, you know, when, when you're playing in European Cup final, you should played in them three. You know, I thought I didn't feel any different between the first one and the third one. I just knew that we were going to win them games. That's the way the lads have got to prepare, prepare it for, for two weeks' time. We're going to win that cup. I'm sure we are. What you do, they're going to have to play well to beat Spurs. But we're capable.
8: And you obviously played in in the back-to-back finals in in seventy-seven and seventy-eight, sort of similar pattern to what's going on this year. Except obviously the advantage you guys had in in seventy-seven was that you you won that final. Do you think that that that's makes it ease, made it easier for you, perhaps, or makes it harder for for these lads now, is that they've got to bounce back from a defeat, or do you think that actually bouncing back from a defeat makes makes you know makes it all all the more sweeter when you when you do eventually get over the line the next well, time?
9: Well, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, but that's that's forgotten about now. What's happened in the league, and we were that was that was drummed into us beforehand. You know, once we've got finished, go to the next game, and the next game is the European Cup final. So, forget about all what's on, happened in the past. This is a one-off game. Two very very good teams. You know, been there, which went through Liverpool because they like getting going forward, making it on the break, that type of thing. But you know, they you know what. I can't go to the game. I wish I could, but well, I can't. I wish I was there. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing: when I'm listening to it, I know it's going to be definite When you're you know, when, when listening to it on the radio and the television, you know I can't wait for it tw- to happen. You know, in two weeks' time, but it's, it's still going to be a tough game. But we've got the team the, the player, The manager, who has been unbelievable, it's what we all what we already know. Um, I just can't wait for, the, for, for that Saturday night. Um, I can't wait. I'm just, unfortunately, I just can't go.
8: And you, of course, scored the the opening goal in, in the final in, in 77. Is that the pinnacle for you as as a footballer to score You know, such a crucial goal in a European Cup final? Like, I remember being in Kiev last year when, when Sadio Mane scored and, and you sort of felt like it, it had to mean something and unfortunately it didn't in the end, but... It's, it's, it's such a special occasion, isn't it, for, for a footballer, but also for the fans to be able to you know celebrate a goal in, in a European Cup final?
9: By it, by having the pundle as well. You know, I, you know I, I thought really, round about that time, that was when I realised I could score more goals than what I had scored in the past three, three or four years. I realised that I could put, score goals. Um, and, and you don't get any bigger than the European Cup final. And you know, to you, people ask you often, ask which was the best goal you've ever sell, uh, scored. And I said, Well, it's very easy. The most important one was the European Cup final of '77, and that's the first goal. I'll never ever forget that, even though you know we've won the other two uh, later. But the, that was a special occasion to score, and in front of that crowd, and it's going to be the same. I know there's only going to be Sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand. But we'll still, still make that noise. Don't worry about
8: that. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a few more scouts around the ground. Anyway, as you said, you you, you you yourself can't make it out to Madrid. But just to round off, what is it you you are most excited about for this game? Is it is it sort of the clash itself? Is it is it that you know the fans and the build up and the atmosphere they can create, or is it just sort of everything all rolled into one? As as it feels like it always is in these Champions League finals.
9: Yeah, but it's, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a great final because it's two very, very good teams. are like getting forward and like scoring goals. And you know, it's. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly think that if we play like we've played most of this season, I don't think there's anything down for them. But they are a very good team, and we've just got to go out there. You know, enjoy it. It might never happen again, but so enjoy it when you can. And... Um, To score a goal in a cup final, it's a brilliant feeling. So let's just hope that we're saying that in two weeks' time. It's a Reds
2: betting state. Uh, John Gibbons with Andy Heaton. Reds bets have supported us throughout the season and we are delighted they are doing so um, because it helps us do what we do. But also, they are a betting company that give 50% of their profits i.e. your losses back into family to causes... So if you do have a bet, have a little think about Reds bets. If you don't gamble, then that's completely fine. But if you do and you're betting with another company, then have a little look at, at Reds bets and what they do. But as always, we would like you to gamble aware. Um, we're going to run through some specials, Andy. The Reds bets have got at the moment, obviously all related to the Champions League final. Oh, yeah. Um so if just, that. <laughs> so if you could just let me know what you think, good or bad about these bets. I'm sure we'll find one you like at least... Um, so Liverpool to win the Champions League final in extra time uh, was nine to one. Now ten to one.
0: Now, now we're going to wrap it up in normal time.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: how does, about... that, does that include penalties? Do we know?
2: No penalties is fifteens.
0: Ten's a good actually. You know what? Ten's a good shout. Um, I think it's been. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I, I don't think it will. But for ten to one, I will take that. You're warming to it. Okay. Um, Liverpool to win four 4-0 nil is forty to one. It's going
0: to be at least five,
2: isn't it? <laughs> not, not enough for Heaton. There we go. Um, but but uh, what, what else have we got? Liverpool, no, penalties have done that. Uh, Liverpool to win the Champions League final from behind is 12-1. to I like that one. I quite like it, like you know, one. as well. I think uh, I think Tottenham might score first, but I, I don't think, like, this Liverpool team would panic if Spurs did Well, Spurs as the first.
0: T-shirt says, never give up. <laughs> no, but it, it would just be like Liverpool, wouldn't it? Because uh, they don't tend to do things on that, you know, make our lives easy. Yeah. So, uh, no one surprised me at all. And, you know, Spurs are the good side and they've got a goal in them. And you know what? Maybe an early goal for Spurs will spark Liverpool into life. So, those kinds of odds, I mean, I'm interested.
2: Okay. Who do you fancy to score?
0: Ooh... Um, you know what
2: I'm going to go with Firmino you fancy Firmino to score uh, do you think he'll be fit I know he'll play I mean how fit do you think he'll be I guess is what I'm trying to
0: say I think he'll be raring to go um, I think he'll be raring to go I think he only just made only just missed sorry the the, the end of the, the nominal league season I think Jürgen said before as well but he's had small he he's made comments about other players being injured and Roberto's got him and he said, Oh normally be four weeks, but because it's Roberto we'll have him back in two. <laughs> and you know, he's got he's got a, he's, he's been in full training now, what Yeah, like a I know. If it was
2: and, if it was the end of the week and he still hadn't seen that, then I'd be a little bit worried. But um uh, yeah, the only Firmino one I can find is a slightly unusual one. I've not seen this before. Uh, Firmino to outscore Christian Eriksson is 3.75. Uh, so if you put a pound on, that's what you get back. Uh, but if neither of them score or it's or they both score the same goals, then you sort of lose the money. Um, so that's what that one who, is. Who do you want
0: to score?
2: Sorry? Who The well, one I like, which is... Um, does, oh, I saw it before. I've, I've lost it. Now. I'm scrolling through my phone. It was Marnie to score a header. And it's fifteen to one. And he's, he's joking. Scored, yeah, he scored some headers this season, hasn't he? I think he's still a bit uh bit kind of underrated in the air really. If you look at him, you know, in terms of you know, obviously he scores every type of goal, but he's he's there you go, yeah. Sadio Mane to score a header in ninety minutes, that is uh, you'd be gutted if he scored one in extra well you wouldn't, you'd be made up, but you know what I mean from a from a betting point of view. Uh, fifteen to one. Uh, Van Dijk is nineteen to score a header. I just found it, yes. He's so Man, good in the air, it, side, yeah,
0: into, But as I've said before, I think he's better than Duncan Ferguson in the air.
2: Yeah.
0: No, but you know what though, with, with headers, he, he has scored a myriad of headers as well, not just like one particular type. And I think it's that easy to, to confuse being big yeah. with being good in the air. I mean, yeah. not, not to knock him, but I mean, Crouchy should have scored more headers than, than he could have done. Yeah. You know who else was small and good in the air? Go on. Well, two. Robbie Fowler and Lewis Garcia.
2: Yeah, Garcia scored some great headers, didn't he? Um, some, some, yeah, some, some really good ones. So, so good on him. Um, Mo Salah to score from outside the boxes, twenties.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I know he scored that one against Chelsea, but I think that's the only really one from outside the area yeah, this season, loads, as far as I can recall. it we, a lot of them tend to be just inside? Yeah. Yeah. We, all, we, we all know about XG now as well so, um, <laughs>
2: so are we saying Sadio Mane to score ahead of the 15s is John and Andy's best of the week that, I will put my seal of approval on that one that is the one we're going for okay there's loads more Gino and am to score at any time Milner to score a penalty absolutely tons of bets on the Champions League finals have a little look at Redsbet.com and thanks to them again for supporting us all season and hopefully until next it's John Gibbons from the Weekender and I'm delighted to be joined by an old friend uh, Jennifer Johnston came on the show a few years ago uh, to talk about her well her job and a job and, and a kind of role really and now back on to talk about um well a new role but also a new album jennifer you've done a love letter to liverpool
1: yes uh, a tribute to my home city and also to its music
2: so it's yourself obviously you're you're, you're singing it's with the, the the royal philharmonic orchestra here in liverpool who you are, you are working with a lot more closely now is that right
1: Yes, the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra um, is, of course, the the most famous product of Liverpool, really, in some ways, um, along with the football clubs. Um, and I'm currently, for the next 18 months, going to be the artist-in-residence with them, which is a real honour, especially for a scouser. Yeah. <laughs> um, the album has come out of that, really, as a way of not only honouring my home city, but also to Um, honour its music but also to involve the seven young composers who are all from Liverpool or associated with the Phil um, who've rewritten famous songs um, including pop songs actually into more of a classical style Um, and the album is made up of um, some tracks which I perform with piano accompanied by a very old friend of mine a great pianist called Alistair Hogarth and then the orchestra Also, appear on the album along with the choir, who of course I belonged to when I was 15, and then um, the youth company. So, we've got both the youth choir and also the children's choir will both make an appearance on it, too. So, as many people involved as possible, Um, and um, I'm delighted with the results, I have to say.
2: Well, I look forward to hearing it, and it must be nice for you to do so much with, as you say, with your home city. We're speaking to you now; you're over in Munich doing some kind of work over there. And obviously, as a, as a, as a, as a musician and a singer, you know, kind of in international demand, I'm sure. But doing so much in your home city at the moment must uh, give you a lot of joy.
1: Yes, it's a really important thing, actually. Um, they always say that it's very unlikely that you'll ever be a prophet in your own land <laughs>
4: um
1: but actually in this instance i'm being allowed to be that which is an amazing thing um really important is the fact that the album and the single which will come out later today um of you'll never walk alone are both raising money for both the liverpool philharmonic youth company and um, all the work that they do with with um, the youth of Merseyside in music but also for Hey Children's Charity which is a, a charity that's very close to my heart. Um, they're a hospital that helped my sister when she was very sick when she was a child and um, my mum actually is a trustee of the charity and so as a family we work very hard for them um, in the background and it's nice to be able to do something publicly to show them some support for the incredible work that they do. Yeah,
2: and both charities sort of, you know, very much in need of the support. I mean, people will know older hey, listen to this. Obviously, it's one of the, the world's leading children's hospitals, and we're very lucky to have it in, here in Liverpool. But also the work that, that the Phil do with young people might be a little bit less well-known, but is 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 very important because you know arts, arts, arts kind of funding's been been cut in the, in in well across the country but i've noticed it in liverpool someone who came through liverpool music school and was in the uh, the sort of the liverpool youth orchestra and things like that i don't think that exists anymore which is which is a real shame and and kind of no.
1: and things well, like the that fill, the phil has had to take over really yeah um in some ways because music's been cut so much in schools and um, they also have an incredible program called in harmony which is um, taking um, musicians from the orchestra and um, joining them up with local schools in Everton and Anfield and teaching children how to play instruments from a very young age. It's a hugely successful um, scheme it's having um a a real um growth period and has just celebrated its 10th anniversary so um that it's all go really at the fill i'm very proud to be associated with them um the work that they do in general is amazing but also the work that they do in promoting liverpool is amazing um, and obviously at a time where we've been through quite a bumpy period in the 80s as a city, um, it feels a little bit like Liverpool is very much on the up at the moment. And it's lovely to be part of that and to feel that I'm contributing something at least to to, to the city and its um, mentality, which is very different from when I was growing up.
2: So the the album, uh, the love letter. It's twenty one songs long. I've seen here. As you mentioned, you never walk alone is on there. Uh, to, so the Evertonians don't feel out, uh, feel left out. Sorry, there's a, there's Johnny Todd on there as well. So you can buy it for yeah. for your Evertonian kind of friends and colleagues. But it's it's a general kind of mix of traditional Liverpool songs, Liverpool songs that people might know. There's a Beatles track on there, but also kind of you know some some so new stuff on there as well. There's some there's some brand new stuff, yeah. But
1: there's also Um, some real classical song as well Um, and there's also um, there's a a brand new song um, which is actually excerpted from his opera by Mark Simpson who's another scouser um, a clarinetist and composer and then two tracks by the amazing Stephen Hough who was our students at the Liverpool Phil until um, a year ago and he has written a new arrangement for me of in particular Danny Boy, which I'm really thrilled about. So um, there's there's lots on there. I mean, it it really is eclectic, I suppose you'd say, but um, equally it should appeal to lots of people. And more importantly, I think it reflects the sort of diversity of the music that goes on in the city across genres, really. Um, I mean, a demonstration of that was at light night the other night where you know music was heard in all forms across the whole city, uh, and not least at the Phil itself, in the music room, um, which attracts a whole range of different types of performers um yeah. through the year actually their program's really impressive, so um I would say to anyone listening, not only please buy the album, please buy the single, please donate money to the Liverpool Phil and to older Hay, but also please come and support the Phil, even if you don't know about classical music or you think that Um, you don't necessarily like classical music. There are lots of things going on. It isn't just isolated to Beethoven and Mozart. So um, give it
2: a go no definitely I mean I recently looked into just how much was going on at the Phil and it's an unbelievable amount of stuff going on at lunch times you know there's evenings obviously the music rooms as well and, and as you say one of my favourite things to go at the, the Phil is to, to go watch a film and, the, and the, the Philharmonic Orchestra play along and we went to Jurassic Park a few months yeah, ago and I know, I know Ghostbusters is coming up as well I've noticed my wife's yeah, pressed and me and to get tickets evolve. for that so I mean but that's a that's a yeah. brilliant way to experience an orchestra isn't it because some people might, might be they go well, that you enjoy an orchestra but everyone loves a good film score and everyone loves a film and that's a good way to to basically feel what it feels like to be in a room with an orchestra and with all the kind of dynamic contrast yeah. that it can bring
1: yeah and also i think um we've noticed a, a pattern um i went to see jurassic park at the in that format at, at christmas and um, wizard of oz is coming up and people just genuinely dress up now to come <laughs> as well so it's become a thing and um, it's a greatly enjoyable thing to go and do. There's also loads of stuff for kids um, upcoming in the next m- month. We've got stuff like the Gruffalo Live and the Gruffalo's Child. There's, there's lots on offer. So go ahead, look at the website. Tickets go on sale for next season quite soon. Um, so get yourself in the queue and um, we look forward to welcoming you
2: at What is a ma- an amazing building in itself? Yeah, and a real, real sort of variety of uh, of ticket prices as well. So hopefully, kind of something for everyone. Um, we'll just finish on the single. Then it is "You'll Never Walk Alone." It's it's out now, um, so people can kind of download. But it'll
1: that. be out later. <laughs> I
2: know, but we're not yeah. putting this out till Friday out. morning. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll, oh, okay. by, by the time this goes out, uh, it, it will be, yeah, it will it certainly be out. be out,
1: yeah.
2: and it's you know, it'll it's, be
1: available on. on all platforms. So um, it it will be available to download. Um, It's also going to be available on Spotify and Apple Music. And um, it will be on, hopefully, some of the Liverpool Football Club playlists as well. Um, Obviously, in advance of the Champions League, um, we're really hoping that if you buy the single, it's an extra reason for them to win in Madrid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The biggest amount of support you can give, the better.
2: And are you going to be able to watch the final or are you performing?
1: (laughs) No, no, I I am lucky I've got that night off, so I'm I'm going to go and sit with my boyfriend and watch it in a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully it thankfully it, it doesn't fall on a night where I'm actually on stage. Um because like everybody in Liverpool, it would be a fantastic thing to watch them
2: win. Indeed, indeed. And great for the city, just like the Philharmonic has been. Huge thanks to Jennifer for joining us. It's nice to speak to you again. Thank uh, you. Hopefully it won't be too long before the next time. And best of luck with the single and the album. And yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to. Back to next, but I'm sure it's great. And it's John Gibbons for the Amphil Rap, And I'm joined on the phone by Miguel Delaney, who writes for The Independence and has written a lot of things that have got attention recently, um, certainly on social media. But the thing we want to speak to about in particular is... Uh, his recent column on, on the situation around Mkhitaryan and this final in Baku. And there are a lot of people, it seemingly, who can't go to the final in Baku, but um, the fact that one of them is a player for Arsenal, Miguel, just kind of adds to the whole ridiculousness of the whole situation.
10: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, essentially, it just brings this whole issue to a head. Uh, the fact that the, the, the mere location of a place is basically weakening one of the one of the sides and denying a player, what is the chance of a special opportunity, whatever people think about the Europa League, but well, it, it's far to itself. And the same obviously applies to fans. I mean, and in this case, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not even the choice of the venue. It's the size of an airport that is against the denying so many fans. And, and in a much more direct sense, because while there's obviously this argument that Nkhitaryan has, has made a personal decision and that it's not due to any kind of, you know, um, legal uh, Obstacles, but I mean that situation alone is ridiculous. that he has to make a personal decision but with the fans. Literally, no more than twelve thousand can get can get there. And given the difficulty, um, we, we we could well have a situation where we only see three to four thousand from London, which is remarkable in itself. And as you say, it just—I mean—the Vicarrian situation really just brings this entire thing to a head. And a, a final venue or a selection of venue with multiple problems at all levels.
2: Yeah, and and for the player, as you mentioned, it's a shame because he's played. He hasn't played every week for Arsenal, but he has played in most of the Europa League games. So he's done the graph to get to the final. You know, he's put in the performances they've got there, but he doesn't get the the shining glory. And as you say, it's it's eventually seemingly come down to his decision. But it should be a decision that, that any footballer should have to make. What
10: well, is the thing? And I mean, I've seen a few arguments made about how in at the start of the millennium. A few player a few Chelsea players, wouldn't travel to I think it was Tel Aviv because of, because of an issue, um, or how in certain situations countries that have some sort of political tension are kept apart uh, in in draws by UEFA, and that's all well and good. Well, but but they're, they're they're kind of regular competition. This is a showpiece that UEFA have selected, and you would think logically before we even get to the issues of the infrastructure and the stadium, if there's any sort of Political concern like that, where where there has been an issue in the past with athletes travelling, where as recently as twenty sixteen, there has been a four day war, and where the situation is still described as an ongoing conflict, uh, that is, that basically, that that just shouldn't be up for consideration, uh, in terms of a showpiece event like this.
2: Do you think the club could have been stronger? Um, you know, in terms of. You know, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it, for, for the fo- for the football club? But I think if it was it, and, you, and you're putting yourself in a different situation, but I think if it was Liverpool in the Europa League final, I think I'd support the club saying, look, if you can't guarantee the safety of one of our players, we're not taking any of them.
10: Do you think they could have done something yeah, I mean, like that? I and mean, to be fair, I mean, so I've already seen it put around. I like, imagine this was Eden Hazard, yeah, uh, for Chelsea. You have to you have to, you'd have to think. suddenly, I mean, it might take on a different complexion. Um, I, I think there's a very strong argument for the club, both, uh, both clubs to boycott given the situation, really. And it, it would be good if they supported each other in such situations. Um, I think they'd have a strong moral argument, uh, it, especially given, that I'd, I'd, I'd imagine, the potential complications that would come from essentially refusing to play UEFA game and all the manner of sanctions that would bring. Although, which, and if that did happen, it would, it would, I think it would lead to quite the impasse and, and potentially a lot of fallout. But even, I think even because of that, it almost feels unfair to put the burden on Arsenal in this situation when uh, really all the focus should be on UEFA and its choice of venue. And I mean, the, the other side of this as well, even before we get to the difficulty of um, difficulty fans getting there, the lack of infrastructure, the Mkhitaryan situation, I mean, there's, there's, there's the chance. <laughs> basically, we have what is it? What is the showpiece event? Yeah. That is allowed to be used for what what has been described as another example of sports watching. Basically, this is a propaganda coup for Aliyev in uh, in Azerbaijan, who's you know <laughs> who's, who's been elected in for the fourth successive occasion. Um, you know, uh, after, elect, after elections that human rights watch say lack competition and took place in a restrictive political environment and under laws that curtail fundamental rights and freedoms. So I mean, so again, and that's another whole element of this situation well, and I mean I think to, to put the, the burden on Arsenal would be slightly unfair because the entire focus should be on how UEFA have allowed this to happen
2: and what you point out in the uh, the article quite rightly is that this is all actually a build up to Euro 2020 where um, Baku has been chosen as one of the, the locations I think for a semi-final for uh, for this tournament which is being I mean, held quarter, quarterfinal, quarterfinal, quarterfinal right. apologies um, yeah. for this tournament that's being held kind of here there and everywhere and you know, the fact that some people, whoever that might be, uh, maybe it's me and you, need to be putting pressure on carry UEFA to say, like, well, actually, you know, if, you, if you're only saying you can get this many fans in, what happens if, if it's, you know, England v. Italy or whatever in, the, in this quarterfinal, lots of fans want to go, we're going to end up in the same situation?
10: Yeah, completely. And I mean, I've, I've all seen people put the argument forward that, well, in, like, the World Cup in Russia or in Brazil, countries like, oh, sorry, cities like Manaus like um, like Rostov have have, have been used, which are probably be a, a similar you know capacity, similar infrastructure to back here and are capitals. But the difference there is those are cities that take place in. I, I was actually at both of those venues. Well, I wasn't at now, sorry. was that was at similar in Belharzange uh, and I was in Rostov. The difference is when you have um, a venue in within a tournament, that's already on the assumption thing. that most people travelling. Are are already going from a central hub return, which would be yeah, Moscow yeah, or the country, Rio. Yeah. Whereas, the, obviously, obviously, as you mentioned, the big issue with uh, with Euro twenty twenty is there is no centralised hub, so it's going to it's going to present the exact same problem as here in terms of a lot of people coming from, from from Western Europe or even Central Europe and even Eastern Europe, given given the lack of direct flights to, uh, to to back Baku. So unless they they plan on a huge funding into that infrastructure in the next year. We're going to have, we're going to have the exact same problem. But again, and, and that that's just as regards logistics, which you you could argue, you could even argue should be secondary to the political moral concerns here.
2: It there's talk of sponsors sending their tickets back as well. I've I've sort of seen that on, on on Twitter this morning. Um, there's a strong likelihood that we're going to get a half-empty stadium unless they can give tickets away and and kind of fill it up. If that does happen, do you think that? a Message is going to get through to you, AFA. Do you think that it might cause them a bit of a rethinking that look, we can't just be putting these, you know, great grounds kind of wherever we like and, 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 you know, not, not presume there's not going to be consequences, or are they almost kind of, you know, kind of oblivious to these things? Uh, I
10: think you'd have to, I think there, yeah, there would be an element of embarrassment. Uh, I think I'd imagine they're already keenly aware of this, and I think some. I, I mean, speaking from some people connected to those within UEFA. There's a, there's already a, a bit of concern about the coverage just how it's gone. And even I remember like two two years ago, where they held the, the final in Cardiff, the Champions League final. Yeah. Cardiff, a great city, great stadium. But ultimately, it was too small for an event of that size. The city was always bursting in the teams. And I remember being in one of one of the one of the hotel bars on the day of the game, talking to people from UEFA, who were basically kind of already commenting on that point about how just the city's too small and they'd have to, in future they'd have to uh, they'd have to take into account uh, you, you know decide, like the, the, the criteria would, would be um, adjusted for it and so it probably wouldn't take place in a city the size of Cardiff again uh, or at, least, at least the Champions League final and I, you would think I suppose optimistically that what happens with this final would also influence the future as well
2: um, before you go, I want to speak to you about an article you've written today as well, because um, Backer uh, was, was, as you call him, yesterday. Today, you've done a, a long read about um, the state of the nation in terms of the football clubs outside of the Premier League. So this idea that I mean, people were, were aware of most of the stories, but um, the fact that the Bolton Wanderers are having to set up food banks around the stadium to to, to 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 feed employees who aren't being paid. I noticed that last night the Betty players released a statement saying they haven't been paid in 4 months and the, the PFA had to step in, in in March but that's not a long term situation and they you know they've been promoted and should be enjoying it where they're actually worrying about paying mortgages it's it's worrying isn't it and i think in this country we're rightly proud to have 92 um, professional clubs and we're rightly proud to and the attendances, you know, I was speaking to um, a Sunderland fan earlier about, you know, the fact that they're getting 32,000 in Tier 3, which is incredible. But at the same time, a lot of these football clubs are really struggling, aren't they?
10: Yeah, um, and I, I suppose almost the central piece of the piece, I suppose, is that it's just the way you football, and I think we in the media are just as complicit on this, but the intense focus on the very top end of the game, and I suppose you would say you consider like the 12, 13 uh, uh, super clubs of which the, the Premier League t- top six are. As always, it's not just drags resources away from the rest of the game, but drags all interest, which is obviously, I suppose, the source of those resources. And it does feel right a little bit of a, a, a tipping point in that sense. And um, because I suppose even this is even, I suppose, beyond the issue of uh, the focus on the top six, but uh, t- talking to a lot of people involved who works with clubs and I, as, as I think I, I cite one source in the piece who says to me basically nothing about the demographics of football fans suggests that attendance reliance models which is what a lot of lower league clubs are can survive in the, the medium term future because you know the, those under the age of 24 and particularly teenagers just consume the game in a completely different way it tends to be much more online which will naturally gravitate towards those, those clubs that, that, that dominate uh, visibility online and also there's, there's a key there in terms of uh, like as, as Kieran McGuire a financial football expert put it in the piece that the old kind of dad lad which is I suppose which is, again a, you know, uh, an old fashioned term for it but, uh, and a slightly sexist term uh, but but essentially the, the genera- generational link of, uh, of football support is being broken because uh, the current generation or the, the coming generation just don't have the same the same link isn't being passed out. and the same culture of going to the games in that way. And I, I think it has been a problem. One of the stats I cite in the piece is that 31 of the 48 uh, League 1 and League 2 clubs last season, or the season just ending, they um, their their average attendances were less than half of their capacity, capacity of their stadiums, which in and of itself is a problem because of the, the cost of upkeep and all that. Secondly, I, in, the, in the piece I cite that there, there are a lot of people in the FSS and, and other bodies who would argue that in League One, to be sustainable, you've got to have an, an average I mean, base and current business model, that has to be said. Uh, in, in League One, in League Two, sorry, you've got to have an average attendance of 5,000. In League One, 10,000. If that is the case, half the clubs are falling short. Uh, so, I mean, it, it does look like we're, we're hitting a bit of a breaking point. And I, 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 as even as Mark Palios, the owner of Tramia Rovers, said to me in the piece, He's never known a time where so many clubs are facing financial issues yeah. or struggling to pay wages. But to be fair, Paglias himself puts forward the, the examples of Tranmere, who've almost developed a symbiotic relationship with Liverpool in that regard, and Lincoln City as two clubs who have shown a way forward because they've managed kind of, you know, in this increasingly global football world, they've almost gone more local and Tapped into something, some of the energy, and kind of fan support around their clubs and that that community angle to create a vibe again that is almost to a degree can be separate from results, which which is traditionally been of the biggest the, the biggest uh, determinant in in fan attendances, and that provides some hope. But it feels like there's a there's has to be a big reckoning coming coming.
2: Do you think the the big clubs should be doing more? Do you think they could be doing more? I noticed um, Man City receiving, receiving praise for giving uh, Accrington Stanley an old set of goal posts on Twitter this week, and I just thought, I would mean, have I don't want to have a go at Man City, and I'm sure you wouldn't dream of it, Miguel. But um, but it just seems kind of the, you know we we're, we're, we're praising really small things here i mean i'm sure they were throwing them out and then and, and then you've gone to acrington Stanley and ever said oh brilliant what a gesture for manchester city and, and as i say i'm not having to go with them because i'm sure there's more liverpool be, could could be doing they're one of the richest clubs in the country as well and do you think they ever will do you think they ever kind of you even even kind of should be doing more to help these clubs further down the pyramid uh, i mean they do deserve
10: like any little gestures any kind of praise like that and similarly it should be noted that fans of clubs like liverpool and everton huddersfield were involved in the food bank drive for Bolton, for Bolton yeah. Wanderers. Um, but, I mean, I, one of the points that Pally has made to me and I didn't quite make the piece is that ultimately, and I suppose it's, it's actually, again, which I think sums up this issue, it's it's, it's almost the, the the problem with, with charity in general. Like, uh, charity like that is just a band-aid. What you need is structural change. And ultimately, clubs, can't be dependent on hand-me-downs from the top in that regard and that, that's not to absolve you know premier league or, or not, not it doesn't mean there should be a discussion about the level of redistribution in the game Um but it, it, it does it, it really requires a kind of a, almost a change in thinking in how we look at this because i mean as Pete piece points out i think no matter the level of redistribution there's just such a financial drag on the game now where there's just so much money at to the top. And no matter how, how much that money is redistributed, the, the, the need or the requirement to try and keep up with that will just create these gaps right down the system. And that's what's happening. And, and because these gaps are, uh, arise, it means that, that greater problems uh, come up. So there the, the needs to be, I think, well, as, as Pallius again advocates in the piece, a root and branch review, a holistic approach for that still look some way off. It's quite it's quite bleak, really. I mean, I've often I've often been thinking that. To be fair, a few people I've spoken to in the piece denied this. I don't think it's it's that realistic yet. But I was often like, is the future football almost an L- NFL system with this kind of super glossy, super global top level, and then a kind of a much more localized or like a massive localized layer underneath that?
2: Uh, just before we go, Miguel, obviously a lot of your pieces recently have been sort of quite negative on the way kind of football is and the, and the way football's go. And I'm just wondering if you're, still, if you're still enjoying it. Are you looking forward to the Champions League final? Are you looking forward to the playoffs? Are you still in love with the game?
10: Oh, completely. I mean, and I actually appreciate the kind of almost, there's a bit of a double-pink here and the irony because I've, write, I, to be fair, I've written a load of pieces lately on how, I mean, for, for all these problems in football, and actually, and to be out I yeah, just, just touch on some of the problem, really. It's the Champions League at the moment, I can never remember a level of football a quality a drama or anything like it. It's been absolutely brilliant. But then, you, I mean, that's what you have to not, not to be too bleak about it. Again, you have to—is is that just? I mean, are, really it is. It's an offshoot of the fact that there's never been more resources, uh intensified at top level. So there's never been so much quality there, uh, which I think plays a huge part in why the Champions League and so on are the to Ultimately, like we do, just love going to the game. You, there's still the great buzz of being at a great event, but so you have to be mindful. Them but yeah, I still still love the game. I'm really looking forward to having a big
2: final. But <laughs> I suppose a lot of these issues have been bubbling under for me lately as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, huge thanks to Miguel for joining us. If you want to read any of these columns that we've discussed, uh, the best base probably is Twitter. If you go to at Miguel Delaney and all the links are from there, uh, or you can go to the independent website and search for Miguel and all the columns are there too. But huge thanks to Miguel for joining us on the phone and chatting through all that. I'm back to, um, I think it's Dan
4: Austin in the studio. Thanks very much to John and to Miguel Delaney for doing that there. Really interesting chat on the Henrik Mkhitaryan situation as Arsenal and Chelsea prepare for the Europa League final next week in Baku. Uh, back in the studio now with Dan, with Lizzie, with Adam, and with Dan as well. Um, and Dan Morgan, uh, the ballot is over. Tickets are arriving through the post, and travel plans should all now be sorted. This is the best part of the build up now, isn't it? Where, in theory, the logistics are sorted and everyone's looking forward to the trip and, and get going. Um, we're going on the bus. You're going via Barcelona, aren't you? How much are you looking forward to it? I
5: can't wait. I've, I've got to be honest. I've, I've in the last week I've been tinged with a, a sense of guilt because so many people who are no mm-hmm. one cared about couldn't get tickets, and um, like I say, I almost felt guilty of having one um, and getting one through the ballot, which I've been lucky enough to do. But in the end, you know, you, you, you can't you can't take responsibility for that. It's it's something you've got zero control over, and. I think the more we gear towards the game, I think everyone's focus will just be on how Liverpool get over the line as much as anything else and, and how we can all just make the best of the situation. Um I think I think it's it's fantastic that the game itself, despite the ticket mess and the allocation um troubles, is in Madrid because I think Madrid's a superb city. I think it's a great place. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to getting back to Madrid. I went in two thousand and fourteen, it's a place I really, really liked. Um, so I'm really looking forward to spending the day there. I've, I've got a, a a wonderful memory of of Kiev last year and, and Shevchenko Park in particular. And if we can just bottle that again, even a little bit, I'd, I'd be more than more than happy with the the day. And then obviously to top it off, I want to see Liverpool win the trophy. I think that we all deserve over the past few years on this journey under the club because I think it's been. Something we've all worked towards in our own way as as fans, as staff, as as people involved and and a part of Liverpool Football Club. I think we all deserve this victory.
4: Adam, I feel like I definitely deserve it. I reckon you, <laughs> I reckon you do too. To be honest, um, it's it's a second consecutive European Cup final. It's three out of four years under this manager. It's three from three tournaments under this manager. Mad. We really are privileged to be to be doing this yet again.
3: Yeah, it's mad. It is. It, I, I, I'm. I always used to think we had a, a good record in knockout tour, you know, tournaments under you know Benitez, and in, in general, we you know we 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 do well in Europe. But it, this is this is unprecedented. You know, we 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 keep doing it, and um, just this it's just this final step. It does feel different to me to last year. Um, I feel uh, personally more businesslike, which is absolutely not going to have a zero impact on the team. But I personally <laughs> feel like I need to do this this time, so I'm not sure in what shape that's going to take. Um, I haven't got a ticket yet, yet. Um, so if uh, if anybody's guilt does get too much I'll
4: probably take that <laughs> off your hands Dan um, is all your you travel sorted and everything though, yeah so, so
3: yeah um, and, and that's another thing that um look I've never been to Madrid um, and I've never been to Ibiza either <laughs> <laughs> two birds one
4: stone who's yeah. asked about the tickets yeah,
3: who's yeah, asked about the game so two, bird, two birds one stone I'm going to Ibiza this time next week um, <laughs> <laughs> which is going to be funny um, so yeah uh, and yeah there, there's there's definitely um yeah there's the it's, it's just it's so, so exciting and i'm as as dan said uh, dan morgan said there, i i, I it, yeah Shevchenko park last year was was the, the best day of the year and a year with no glastonbury it was it, it sort of almost felt a little bit yeah. like that that vibe sort of under the, the yeah, dappled was, sunlight really of the trees and and I, I don't know it was just mm-hmm. it, it was it was a, it was a beautiful place and i was um I was curious to know what the what the fan park kind of square looks like this time because I'd like to be under some sort of trees again.
4: <laughs> oh, there's very little tree <laughs> chat going no on, trees. you know. It's very uh, it. it's very long, it's very thin. It it's more of an oblong than a square to be totally honest with you. Yeah, it's very concrete uh, as yeah. well. Um, so I don't think it's quite going to be the picturesque thing, Lizzie. Okay. Part of why Shevchenko Park was so good, yeah. I think. And um, we'll come on to the details about the fan, fan park image in a 2nd It's done enough about the trees, Dan. Move <laughs> on. <we'll turn laughs> there. <Is> there, <laughs> the trees. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad to just turn up somewhere as, as peculiar, shall we say, as Ukraine and just bump into loads of people that you know, that sometimes you didn't even know were going, Some people that you know as, like, mates of mates, or, or it's your cousins, mates, dads, or, or whatever it might be, and just, like, be stood in this random park in a place that you would never have any other reason than to go to, aside from Liverpool or Boss.
6: It's bizarre, isn't it, when you when you put it like that? It's really weird. It is. Because um, my Kiev experience, is, like, it was good, it was just a bit mad, like... Turning up to I turned up to Kiev and it was like three in the morning and I'm not lying, a fellow with a hole in his head walked past me and I was like, where am I? Like, what the hell is this? going He had an actual hole in his head. I'm not lying, a hole in no, his I head. No, also- <laughs> <laughs> we, we,
3: we, stayed, we stayed in what, what the bomb barmaid called the criminal area. So I know all about, <laughs> <laughs> all about
6: that sort of thing. And me and my dad were hidden in um, a doorway um, for a couple of hours before we could get into our apartment. But then, you know, we're having like these meals for like two or three quid and then all of a sudden, like you say, you descend on um, Shevchenko Park. You're buying whatever shit ale that there is there because it was all black everything. And then once you were in there, like you literally, because you literally could have been anywhere in Liverpool because you wouldn't have had a clue that you were in the middle of Ukraine. It was really mad, and I think it'll be the same with Madrid. And I've got a bit of a different experience this time again. I'm I'm lucky to have got a ticket in the ballot um, because of the prices of flights etc. and not not wanting to be on a bus with with 12 men particularly um no offence well, to the men, men to the sweaty men no offence uh, i'm doing a day trip so I, I won't get to see any of madrid um so all i will see is this park this oblong park, which literally could be concrete in Kiev, park. Or, or <laughs> oblong
4: concrete, concrete park. <laughs>
6: so, um, yeah, that it's could exactly literally a be
4: like, from what <laughs> I've seen, bit, to be honest, on images. We could
6: literally <laughs> be on, like, I don't know, church, do you, couldn't we? You know, it, it's just going to be full of scouses. I'm not going to have any Madrid experience, I'm not going to speak to hardly any Spanish people. I mean, I wouldn't mind a little tapas, like, but other than that, that's probably as far as I'm going in Madrid. Uh,
4: it's gone quite Brexit, all last sort of thing. <laughs> I <don't> know, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm not speaking to the locals. I mean, I'm probably going to
6: come across them because I'm going to be in a square, an oblong concrete thing. Full of scouses <laughs> basically. The um,
4: suitcase full of beans. <laughs> <laughs>
6: it's like when your mum packs, like you know, sausages for breakfast when you're going away.
4: Yeah. Uh, Dan, just to, to uh, come to you on it, I'll, I'll explain to the people at home a little bit about the fan park if they don't know already. It has been officially designated now. Tottenham have got one. Liverpool have got one by UEFA and the municipality of Madrid. Liverpool's is Plaza Felipe II, also known as Plaza Salvador Dali. Not quite sure why it's got the two names, but I'm intrigued to, to find out why on arrival. Uh, but yeah, if you look it up, you'll, you'll see pictures and everything of what the setup will maybe sort of look like. The square will be open throughout the afternoon. Uh, it'll close at 6 p.m., which again is a bit bizarre and we'll come on to that in a second. But firstly, Dan, uh, the club are looking to put a, a event of sorts on again in that space. Um, even if it might look quite different to, to what Chevchenko Park did. We can't quite yet go into the details around what's going to be on and stuff because the, well, the club hasn't really fully decided how it's gonna work and everything like that. But it's really good that they have reached out to the likes of the Anfield rap, the likes of yourselves at Boss Night and stuff, and want to create something where whether fans are going with a ticket, whether they're going without a ticket, we can all share in this space. We can all have a brilliant time together.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So um we got the call from the club going back probably four to five weeks now. The sort of what if mm-hmm. we do get to Madrid then obviously then this is this is pre Barcelona, but you know, as a, as an organisation, they need to plan ahead. Um, and, and the brief and, and the sort of agreement and discussions was Shevchenko Park times 10. You know, what can we do to make it better? People are very romantic about Shevchenko Park, as we've just seen in the past mm-hmm. couple of minutes. But the reality was, it was a bandstand in a terrible <laughs> place that just wasn't fit for the 20, 30, 40,000 people that turned up. Mm-hmm. The sound was terrible. The views were terrible. The fact that they put these hot dog stands, you know, 20 yards in front of, of the stage... Do you know it, it, it was terrible from an event point of view it, it just didn't work but the people made it work and what Jamie did on stage Jamie Webster what you did and um, you know it all it all really really um contributed towards it but I think this time we're going to see something a lot more professional a lot more festival like you know there's no way we could get away with with that kind of sound set up again um, and I think it is going to be bigger and better it isn't a park. You know, the club are very limited in terms of what can be offered mm-hmm. by, by UEFA. You know, it, it, there's so much that goes into it logistically, the movement of fans, you know, the, the actual availability of spaces in a capital city like mm-hmm. like Madrid in a densely packed capital city. So they can only work with what they've been given. But from my conversations with the club and, and and what I've been told, it will be big enough, and they're making provisions to make sure that people towards the back will be able to hear, will be able to see. Um, so I think it will be a good time for everyone. And obviously, it's an exciting programme at the work working It's not just about boss. It's not just about the Anfield rap. There's a whole load of people getting involved um, that I think reflects um, us as fans. Uh,
4: if you are going to Madrid, then as I say, whether you've got a ticket for the game or not, that will be something to check out on the day, whether you're doing just a day trip or you're going for a few days and, and spending significant time in the city. There's loads of things going on there, so I'm sure you'll manage to, to get around and see everything. But yeah, head to the fan park. It should be a good time. Um, we've got to talk... Dan, a little bit about the sort of uh, UEFA organisation of it, in that it will close at 6 pm. That's three hours before kickoff. It feels peculiar to me to have uh, two fan parks set away from the city centre uh, and then basically be telling a load of people who haven't got tickets. And uh, they're going to be a lot. There are going to be a lot of Liverpool supporters without tickets. There are going to be a lot of Tottenham Hotspur supporters without tickets. And basically telling all them, oh, we're done now. You're going to have to sort yourself out somewhere to watch this game.
7: It's a worry, isn't it? Now, I think there is still time. So maybe somebody will see sense from the authorities and say, actually, we're going to throw a big screen up here, Mm -hmm. and this is where the Tickler's Spurs fans go. This is where the Tickler's Liverpool fans can go. I think there's still time for that. But if it doesn't happen, I think it is a concern. We all know what happened in Athens. In Athens, there was a bit of an Istanbul effect where the people who missed out in 2005 turned up en masse and I'll be honest, Werner is the most well-behaved in, in Athens, so I think it's been very, very well, well documented. I think this time round, there could be a bit of a Kiev effect where we get to Madrid and there's tens and tens of thousands of Liverpool fans you know, often singing off different hymn sheets. And I think the authorities need to think about what they're going to do to manage that because if there is nowhere for the fans to go and watch the game, the natural place to go is towards the stadium. Just to see on the off chance they're going to get a spare, and as we as we all know, there's not many spares flying around. Mm-hmm. Out of those sixteen thousand tickets we've officially got, there's none leaking anywhere. You know they've been issued. There's no mates sitting there waiting to decide which one out of their group of lads, lads or girls, are going to get the spare tickets. They've all been allocated already. I think the only hope is, you know, standard charter, Carlsberg, Mastercard, whoever it is, of sitting a few hundred tickets that eventually filter through to the fans. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, Lizzie we, we'll come back to talk about the other uh, things that boss are organising uh, in a second but there is a massively positive aspect to this I think it's it's still a source of frustration that Liverpool are going to play a Champions League final in Madrid and they're playing it in the second biggest stadium there there's one less than 10 miles away which has got a significantly higher capacity and would have been just much more sensible to use there are obviously you know politically motivated reasons why for example a new ground built by Chinese ownership for go Madrid might be given a final etc etc um, but the photos of it look great. Um, I've been going on the C few thing that they've got on the website. Uh, I'm looking where my ticket is 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 set up, and the ground looks fantastic. I've been looking at photos for it. This is this is a lot of what we're in it for. This is going to big shiny new stadiums, watching Liverpool play, and bringing a trophy back.
6: Yeah, it looks boss. It looks really good, and. Do you know what? It's weird because the the Vincent of Cauldron looks like a great ground and I remember being like why, why on earth are they knocking that down and then seeing this one that they've built and, and it's brilliant and just quickly on what you've just said there about it not being in the biggest grounds. Actually, I I know a lot of people see it as an issue. I don't. Um, because I don't think it really affects our allocation. I think UEFA would still have the way and still allocate exactly the same um, the way that they have done with this one. I really don't think the bigger ground thing is a question other than spares from maybe corporate. That's just my view on that one because I, I I think that's more of a UEFA thing. But um, yeah, the ground, it looks good. I mean, I, I've never been to Madrid. I would have quite liked to go to the Bernabeu um, maybe just to do a little bit of a tick list. Um, but it looks great and I think... I'm so excited to go in and and, and, and turn up as Liverpool FC and, and a proud Liverpool supporter and go, yeah, I'm in a Champions League final playing in this big shiny stadium and we deserve to be it. And actually, I think we deserve to win it as well. Um, I, I, I literally, I can't stop smiling when I talk about it because I'm just so, so excited to get there. And it's really good that it's in Madrid, somewhere accessible uh, well, that we thought was accessible for a decent price, um, which didn't seem to not really be the case recently. But yeah, it, it's not as much of a slog as going to Ukraine as well. So um, it just it feels it feels special.
4: Tom Morgan, um, what really hurt me in the grand last year because it was all right during the game a bit. Like once that mad first goal went in, I sort of accepted it, and then you know Real Madrid had a good 40 team. I was all right, and then I saw them lift the trophy. And I saw the Real Madrid end look nonplussed, quite frankly, when they lifted the trophy. And I was seething with anger, imagining what our end would have been like. And then they played Sweet Dreams immediately afterwards. I was thinking, how much would that have gone off if we'd have just won the European Cup? Liverpool simply have to be dancing around that pitch with the trophy afterwards, don't they? I'm going to really struggle it for the second year in a row. We come away with
5: nothing. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's. There's a way in which Jurgen Klopp's job becomes really, really difficult in terms of get from a motivational sense purely in terms of getting them back if they don't win this one and, and selling the journey to them if they don't win this one. This just feels like a culmination. It feels like a culmination of everything of of Kiev of Ball of of even that League Cup final. Not just finals, but you know part of this journey that we've been on at different points since 2015, and it feels like it's all geared towards this moment and and look we're not entitled to anything that's the thing to remember you can lose a game of football that can happen it's just that i think we've 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 built so much of a rapport with this football team and and we've got such a great relationship with them we believe in them and, and it's kind of it's kind of reinforced my my models in terms of why i do this every every week why I, I put so much faith in them and i think it's it's made it clear to me that you back a gang of people to represent what you, what you believe is fundamental to the football club because that's what that's what you invest in, and I think once you find that it's very rare. I've not I've never felt like i say, I've not never felt close to a Liverpool team before, and I think to 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 get a gang of lads who are so honest and so decent in in the way they come across is is very rare, and it feels like like I say like I said before, I think it feels like we're all just in this together, and we all want this as as much as each other and and I think the point made earlier is a big one because I think the thing we don't take into account often enough is that these players walk into Melbourne every day and the first thing they walk past is the European Cup so this is part of why they came to Liverpool Mm -hmm. this is part of why Virgil van Dijk chose Liverpool over Manchester City this is part of why Mo Salah pens a six year deal because he, he thinks this is where I can do these things this is where I can win these trophies it's just about doing it over that 90 minutes now
4: uh, just before we go then Dan Nicholson boss are doing an event a bit of a send off uh, next Monday in Liverpool before everyone heads off travels to Madrid for the final uh, tell us a little about it yeah we are everything. so
7: um, as I'm sure many people know um, over over the past four or five years we've done very sporadic events gigs after after matches just places for what started off as our mates, just to come really and listen to some music, you know, I, I, I have a good time. Um, they've obviously morphed into something um, a lot bigger now, and, and obviously Jamie Webster, our sort of headline act, gets a fair bit of a, attention. Um, but, and, and, and towards the end of the season, you know, there was, there was a clamour around the stuff we were doing, and lots and lots of people saying, We just can't get access to, to what you do. Um, we Our home over the years has been District in the Baltic Quarter, which only holds, you know, 400 people tops mm-hmm. so lots lots of people getting locked out um we did the olympia which sold out in you know a couple of seconds and um, for the end of season party um and it just led to a whole barrage of complaints Some people saying we want to be a part of this but we're not quick enough we're not clued up enough you know we're not part of the match going click you know in order to to get access um so so we sat down and said well why don't we be form and give all these people a chance to come and see what it is we do and see what Jamie Webster here and Molyneux Benberg uh, and the others do. Um, so we had to go to the biggest place in the city, and that's that was the MS Bank Arena. So we sat down with them and we said, you well, know, how do we go about doing an event here? And they were very receptive. Um, unfortunately, the arena itself um, was pretty booked up. Um, as, as it tends to be. So they offered us what is known as Space by the MS Bank Arena, which is the convention centre that joins onto the the arena for Bank Holiday Monday. So um, this coming Monday, we're going to throw what we're calling sort of Madrid send-off party. Um, as you've probably seen from from the videos, we get a few special guests and stuff that come along and sort of add to the night. We've got a fair few of them lined up already, none that unfortunately can can share now but um I'm sure no one's going to be left disappointed um on on Monday night um the tickets are available through the um through the arena website which is um msbankarena.com um things does does at 6 p.m things kick off at 7 p.m and it'll be wrapped up around half 10.
4: Right, so if you want to go on along and enjoy yourself and find out who those possible special guests will be make sure to get your tickets, uh, it's going to be fantastic if you've ever been to one before you'll know how good it is and if it's your first time you'll have an absolute ball there uh, that's about all that we've got time for anyway on this episode of The Weekender thanks very much to Lizzie, to Dan Nicholson to Dan Morgan and to Adam Amelia for their contributions and thank you very much to you for listening make sure to subscribe to the Amphia app if you don't already, there are going to be tonnes of exclusive podcasts on the tour player service in and around the final, as I've mentioned a few of us are travelling on the bus again, leaving early next Wednesday morning which feels far too early it's 1am on the Wednesday somehow we're leaving earlier than what we left for Kiev (laughs) Um, I'm not really sure how that's happened to be honest Uh, but we'll be doing all of the same stuff that people seem to enjoy from the bus last year Uh, there'll be pre and post match reviews there'll be travel diaries there'll be a special AFQ yes there'll be (laughs) genuine physical and mental injuries um, that come up as well (laughs) yeah Gibbo's working on that we think he's going with uh, Charlotte Crosby although there's been talk of uh, off, off Made in Chelsea oh. as well. We're basically looking for the most salacious autobiography that we can find. <laughs> Nothing will compete with Jodie Marsh because, frankly, no one has had as much sex as Jodie <laughs> Marsh on the planet, I don't think. But if anyone has any suggestions for a particularly. Uh, filthy autobiography that that John and various other members of the bus crew can read, then please send it in. But yeah, loads of really good stuff on there. So uh, if you don't already, sign up for the five. There'll be loads of really good stuff. Um, And for now, uh, thanks very much for listening to this. Enjoy your weekend. Make sure to get your Boss Night Ticket for Monday and all the best.
1: Sports Social Podcast
9: Network.